May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Harry Randall Truman was born in Ivydale, West Virginia in 1896. Mr. Truman, not to be confused with Harry S. Truman, who was the 33rd President of the United States, served in the Army during the First World War. One year after he enlisted in the Army, um, they they were transporting PFC Truman along with hundreds of other uh, Army soldiers um, aboard the SS Tuscania when it was torpedoed by German U-boats. That day, 210 people lost their lives, but one of them was not Harry R. Truman. He continued to serve two more years in the Army during the war to end all wars, and afterward survived to return home to the United States and decided to move to the great state of Washington, out west. And um, when he moved out there, he became the caretaker for a lodge beside this lake called Spirit Lake at the foot of Mount St. Helens. He lived there for 54 years. And in the early 1980s, geologists and um, public safety officials began to warn all the people, and in particular Mr. Harry R. Truman, of um, an upcoming volcano eruption of the now active Mount St. Helens. And Mr. Truman said, you know, that's a bunch of nonsense. I've lived here half a century, um, and besides, if the mountain goes, I'm going with it. They never recovered Mr. Truman's body under the 150 feet of ash that Mount St. Helens blew down upon his lodge side home or his lakeside lodge um, in in May of 1980. You know, on almost any given day, you can um, you can turn on your television set. Open a newspaper if you still know what those look like. Um, you can, uh, you know, go online, um, look at your Facebook news feed or whatever, and and you will discover that the sky is about to fall in. It's going to happen. If not today, then perhaps tomorrow. You know, um, Facebook may no longer be free. Um, Christmas may cease to exist, you know. Uh, the, um, the next president of the United States may turn everybody into communist or fascist, depending on which side of the aisle you tend to be. Um, there's a new flu that's going to wipe out a third of the world's population. And if you don't get this vaccine, you're definitely going to be one of the ones that are going under. Um, and that's what the media has to do, isn't it? I mean, that's their, their job. They need a new crisis every 24 to 48 hours. We have to keep... People tuning in, there has to be something to fear. Uh, over the uh, holiday weekend, we went down to the Dayton area where my family lives and Abby's family lives. And, and on Friday after Thanksgiving, um, whilst you were all sleeping in or out shopping or doing whatever you might do for pleasure, uh, my brother, my wife, and I were at my mother's house doing this project that she'd been after me for a long time to do, which was to um, replace the flooring in her family room and um, and paint the walls and, and that sort of So we end up, rip everything and move all the furniture out, rip up all the existing flooring, paint the ceiling and the walls and then replace all. We, the three of us spent over 12 hours on, uh, on Friday um, working on this project. At the end of it, I told my mother, I just one request. She said, well, tell me what it is first. I said, no, you have to agree to my one request. I've, I've spent 12 hours here. I can't hardly bend, you know. And she said, no, I, I, just tell me what it is. No 
I, I can tell you, no cable news for a week. She said, no way, I could not live without that. For, yes, you could, you know, you could live without hysteria for a week. But no, it was just too much, that's too, too great of a request. If I had known that, I would have paid somebody to put this floor in it, she says. How will we know what to fear unless somebody tells us? But like a broken clock, even the news media is right maybe twice a day. I don't think it's that often. But sometimes they are right, you know. And, and Mr. Harry R. Truman found out on May 18, 1980, that they were right. The mountain was actually going to explode. In the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah, uh, the, the Old Testament lesson today, comes from the, the, the pen of Jeremiah. You, you perhaps know that he's often called the weeping prophet. He's often called the weeping prophet because his predictions are so dire and they make him cry himself. They're probably also called the weeping prophet because people didn't like him very much. You know, when you preach doom and disaster, they don't give you awards for that sort of thing. You know, they, they, they laugh at him for a long time until they started coming true, and then they started throwing him in jail. And, um, and often they would lower him into these deep dungeons by rope so he could experience the very lowest parts of being in the dungeon, the worst parts of prison. You know, find another sermon, Jeremiah. We're tired of this stuff. And, uh, and they, they tried to get him to stop. They hated him. At the heart of his preaching, though, was this central message to the people of God. Turn from your sin. Turn from your sin, and if you don't, God will destroy you. He will destroy the, the capital city, Jerusalem. He will destroy all, all the semblances of his name in this land. He will send the Babylonians and their king, Nebuchadnezzar, and he will lay waste to this, this place that you call home. All the symbols of God's blessing will be taken away. All of your wealth will be gone. All of your homes will be destroyed. The, the, the government system will be laid waste. Kings killed. All politicians removed. Um, the temple, the symbol of God's presence in the, in the center of the, of the city will be destroyed. And, uh, and the ultimate doom, the people will be led away into exile. The people of the promise will no longer be living in the promised land. So this is Jeremiah's message. Turn, or God will bring judgment upon his people. From all outward appearances, Jeremiah says, it will look as if God has abandoned Israel. All outward signs will seem to say that God has abandoned them. In the midst of preaching this message, which you can see was a heartwarming message that everybody loved, um, Jeremiah does something that is really strange. He goes and he buys a piece of property. Let me back up just a minute and read to you the beginning passage from chapter 32. Um, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in the tenth year of Zedekiah, the king of Judah, which was in the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Bab Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. The army of, of Babylon is, is laying siege to Jerusalem. There's a, there's a battle going on. They're knocking at the gates. They're about to come in. And Jeremiah, of course, is thrown into prison as if it's his fault. You know, I told you so is not a good defense, apparently, in the courts of ancient Israel. And while this is going on, he's thrown into prison. And then, listen to this, the word, uh, Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, Buy a field that is near, that is at Anathoth, 
for the, for the right of redemption to purchase is yours. He's in jail. Your cousin's going to come and say, look, I want to sell you a piece of property. <laughs> okay? It's like this old guy who lives at the, ba- at the base of a, of a volcano saying, I've got a good deal in a lodge for you. You know, um, what would you say if you were Jeremiah? This is absurd. This is nonsense. Right? Uh, then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, Buy my field that is in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew this was the word of the Lord, verse 9, and I bought the field. <laughs> and I bought the The army of Babylon is raging all around. They're pounding at the city gates. Jeremiah himself is in jail. Somebody comes to his jail cell and says, hey, by the way, I've got a great deal on a piece of land for you. And Jeremiah says, okay, I'll buy it. I want it. Who does that? Who would do such a foolish thing? And that gets us to our lesson today. Chapter uh, 33, beginning of our lesson, verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. A righteous branch will raise up. A righteous branch to David. Now, righteous doesn't just mean like morally righteous, like like a, a good and a decent person, you know, an offspring. But a rightful heir, the, the, the legitimate heir of David will rise up and he will rule with righteousness and justice. In Jeremiah's world, the poor were being exploited on a regular basis. This was at the heart of his message, by the way. Why is God about to judge Israel? Because of the way they treat the poor. It wasn't the only thing, but it was one of the the main reasons why God was about to judge Israel. The poor are being objectified and exploited. Um, I remember this friend of mine who was telling me about a, a relative of his who owned all these convenience stores in poor neighborhoods. And he was saying, you wouldn't believe the margins, the profit margins he made. That, you know, he would take items that were like packaged at a certain uh, level and he would break them down and sell them at, at, you know, like three or four times the margin. Like he would sell cigarettes three for a dollar or something like that because poor people could afford a dollar, but they couldn't afford the amount for the entire pack. But the margins he would make off of them were like outrageous. You know, that's exploitation, you know. I mean, this is exactly the, the problem. Nothing wrong with entrepreneurship. Don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with, with making money. But exploiting people because of their poverty, this is what, what Jeremiah is getting at. And on the eve of this great firestorm in Jerusalem, Jeremiah says God is about to do something great. He's going to raise up this righteous branch of David, this rightful heir of David who will rule, who will care for the poor and the needy, he will, he will bear the burdens of parents and grandparents, the friendless and the needy. This one is going to stop. He's going to step in and change the way things work in Israel. And on the eve of the destruction, Jeremiah says all hell is about to break loose. But listen, God has not forgot his promise. The promise he made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, the promise he made to David. He has not forgotten these promises. It might look like it. 
but God has not forgotten his promises. This Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent. Um, it's not just the, uh, the four Sundays before Christmas. Not, not just that we, we finally made it to Thanksgiving and now we can do what we really wanted to do, which was hang up all the lights and bring out the guy in the red suit and all that sort of bit. No, this is about, about Advent, about the, the coming of the Son of David. It's about getting ready to go to Christmas, but not the Christmas tree and not the packages and all that stuff, as good and fun as all that is. But it's about getting to the birth of the son of David, the righteous branch that Jeremiah talks about 500 years before the birth of Jesus. It's about the celebration of that coming king. But it's also about this for those of us who live on this side of Christmas. It's about the, the first Christmas. It's about, about waiting for the return of the king. About the waiting for the return of Jesus, the one who we says will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And whose kingdom will have no end. We are on this side waiting for that coming as well. And so Advent is about the first Advent when Christ came, but also about the second Advent that we have yet to see and wait. So we live in this, this sort of already but not yet. Where the king has come, and yet the king is still to come. He's, he has come, and he will come again. And sometimes living in this is really good and really precious and sweet. It's about getting new jobs or going to a new school or, or getting a new home. A new baby's on the way. A young man and young woman join themselves in holy matrimony, and you get to watch and witness and, and think about all the, the wonder and joy of those promises they make and the life they get to live together. That's the good part of living in the already. But there are some that live in the, in the not yet, you know, the pain of not yet, um, the loss of a job or a home or a child, God forbid, a grandchild, where there's great sense of pain and anguish. I remember in, in 2009, um, right after the sort of housing collapse, uh, there were a bunch of families. I lived in, the, in a neighborhood of, uh, of newly constructed homes. There, there were a bunch of families living in my neighborhood in, in Circleville where uh, several of them worked for a factory that laid off, you know, the scores of people, and they lost their jobs. And, and it wasn't long, and they lost their homes. And there was a time where somebody told me that in our neighborhood, like, you know, a dozen streets or so, that there were like 15 homes that were in foreclosure. And for those people, the waiting on the promise was, was a waiting in, in anguish and pain. And Jeremiah's word to us, whether we're living in the, in the good or the that God always keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. I remember... Um, Goodness, it seems like yesterday, but it's been um, 25 years ago now that, um, that my wife told me that she thought that she might be pregnant and that she had stopped at a, at a pharmacy to pick up this, um, this kit, you know. Um, I don't know what's in the kit, but there was something in the kit. All right? And, um, and, uh, and she, um, she uh, went to the restroom with the kit and did whatever you do with the, with the thing. In the, and, um, and she comes back out uh, with this little stick, you know. And she says that we wait five minutes. And, and if there's a little blue line on the stick, then that means that we're having a baby. And if there's no little blue line, then that we're probably not. And you had to wait five minutes. And it seemed like the longest five minutes of our lives. You know, we just watched and watched and watched and watched. And, and, and after a little bit, there was, there was the faintest little blue line. 
And then a couple seconds later, it got darker and darker. And pretty soon, there was no doubt about it, there was definitely a blue line on that little stick that came out of the kit, that came out of the bathroom. You know, and, and so all of a sudden, we're going to have a baby. You know, we're going to have, and we jumped up and we did a little dance in our little dinky apartment and we were celebrating and she ran off to the bathroom to get sick and, um, and I ran into the bedroom to pack a bag and, uh, you know, we were going to have a baby. We believed that little blue line on that little stick so much that we went out and bought new furniture for this new room that week. And we bought paint. And like I've done every, you know, whatever, painted the room and probably changed the flooring in there. And, and she bought books, you know, what to expect when you're expecting. Um, and, uh, and we picked out names. We believed in that promise. And nine months later, that promise came true. And a little baby came to our house. The message of the prophet Jeremiah is this. God has made promises. And he always keeps his promises. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank. God always keeps his word. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.